Guys, we're doing something we haven't done a whole lot of, and that's actually teach through a book of the Bible, which can sometimes feel uh, like, well, if we're just going to teach straight through Scripture, is it going to apply necessarily to my life? And I'm going to answer that up front and say yes. We're, we're beginning to teach through the book of 1 John. And oftentimes we read the book of 1 John. It's only five chapters. And we read it, and it feels very fluffy and loving and light and kind. And a lot of great things are happening. But what you may not understand as you're reading the Scriptures is that there's a lot of conflict that's actually been happening in the early church. And so this morning... Uh, we're going to look at some of this and see how this applies to my life, to your life, my life, and our church together. When's the last time you had conflict? Oh, you're all smiling. When, when is the last time you sat down with someone, either in a good way or in a bad way, and you addressed conflict? You had to sit down and say, what you're doing is dumb. Stop doing that. Or can we talk about these actions? Now, if you have young children like I do, I have four, well, I have to do this every day. Stop doing that. That's foolish. But we don't always, that doesn't count if you're a parent. When's the last time you had that kind of encounter with an adult or a teenager or someone in your sphere? Oftentimes we shy away from conflict, don't we? We do not like it. The, just, the, the human nature within us, we do not like the sandpaper experience of, of conflict. I love to go to the movies. And it never fails when I have spent some really good money at the movie theater and I've got my seat all picked out. I sit down and what happens? You know, you know. Somebody starts laughing behind me. You know what I'm talking about. But it's like the, like the cluster, the gang, you know, where, where they have just, they've created, they know what they're doing. They're going to laugh their way through this thing or cut jokes or crack this or that. And they, with no re regard to those who are sitting in the theater who want to enjoy the experience. Anybody ever? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what do you do? What's your nature? What, what do you do in these moments? This happened not too long ago. And again, it costs like a million dollars to go to the movies nowadays. Right? It's like 50 bucks for a thing of popcorn. Maybe I exaggerate. Thank you. So someone thought it would be hilarious to start running up and down the stairs yelling catfish in the theater. Yeah, I know. I don't get it either. I thought, okay, this is mildly amusing. But then it kept going, and the movie had started, and no one was doing anything. And if you know me, you know I will do something. And so I got up the next time the, the running down the steps, and catfish, catfish, catfish started happening. And I just got as close as I could, and I said, this ends now. <laughs> Sometimes you need a little bit of that crazy 
you know, psycho look, like anything is possible with me. Like this ends right now, you know, and cock your head a little bit sideways, like you're, you're really struggling to keep it under control. Conflict is one of those things where we are averse to it. Even me, while, while in the moment I can, I'm, I'm fine with it, I don't generally enjoy conflict or talking about things that are hard. We don't. And yet we desperately need to. And the book of 1 John is written to the early church. Uh, the church probably in Ephesus, or in, at least, as we know, in Asia Minor. It was passed around to, to all the churches. And there are some things that are going on in the church. And there's no texting, obviously. There's no emailing. There's no phone calls. There's no, there's no anything except, I'm going to write you a letter, or I'm going to show up in person, and we need to talk and address these things. Because there have been some people in the church who'd been teaching things that were just flat out wrong. They'd just been teaching wrong things. And so the people that were in the church are now wondering what's up, what's down, what's true, what's not. They're, they're all over the place. And so John writes this letter to address some of the things that are going on in the church. Issues of morality. Issues about what's true and what's false. Issues about how to have a real, life-giving relationship with Jesus. I know we just can't relate to those things at all, can we? Morality in the church? Surely that wouldn't be an issue. How to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus and experience true community? Surely we don't struggle with that. Knowing what's actually true about Jesus in the scriptures, surely we don't have National Geographic episodes that air every single week talking about the illegitimacy of Jesus or scripture. And that we wouldn't find ourselves wondering, well, is this actually true? No, we do. And that's why as we teach and read through the scriptures this morning, it has great relevance to us. <clears throat> you guys ready? Let's do this. Let's do this. <clears throat> First John 1 John 1.3 That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Three times in the opening paragraph of the letter of 1 John. John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved... He had a very special relationship with Jesus. He says something three times in just a few sentences. This 
is what I have seen. And this is what I have heard. And you've got to know. Mike, would you come up here for just a second? I want to illustrate this a little bit better for you. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget that it's just wasn't always the Bible. Meaning, this was a letter written to a bunch of people who were struggling with some stuff. And that letter would have, I don't even know how it showed up. I don't know how they delivered mail or how things worked other than messengers taking them by foot, obviously. But I want you to hear this and understand this in the context of how it actually would have been. A letter. Check. You get to open it, and now you are going to read it. And close your eyes for a second. Or, or sit here and, and listen to it, but don't think of it as the Bible as you typically would think of it. Think of it as a letter that is written to you. You go to your mailbox, you pull that thing out, you go into your kitchen, you open it up, and you're reading it. Take it away. From the very first day, we were there. Taking it all in, we heard it with all our own eyes verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you the most sober, <clears throat> prone thing that we witnessed <clears throat> was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with our Father and with, with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing this is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Your joy will double our joy. You can have a seat. Thanks. Thank you. You heard a guy, Mike, thank you, Mike, reading the letter of 1 John, the message translation. You'll notice I, I literally penned it. He couldn't even read all of what I wrote. <laughs> I didn't let him see it beforehand. Because it's a letter. And when you get a letter, some, you know the birthday card, and, you're, and you're, you're reading it, and you can't even make out what your grandma wrote to you in that particular word, and you reread the same sentence like 19 times Trying to, wait, what is, what is that word? And so this is how letters are. You read it. You stumble over words. You're, you're wrestling with it. And then you'd read it over again and over again. You don't have someone like me who is standing up and preaching this Bible that we've had for several thousand years. Well, a little less than that. Are you with me this morning? John is writing them a very personal letter about what he has seen and about what he has heard. Sometimes we forget that the gospel is personal, that it was real people. John is about pushing 70 years old, 60, 70 years old. Nearly all of the original 12 apostles are dead. 
having been executed. He's the only one, or maybe, if our dates are, are off by a little bit, there might have been one other alive of the original 12. His friends are gone. Jerusalem has been sacked and sieged. All the things that he knows from history, so to speak, of his life are, 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 are waning and are by the wayside. But the one thing that he knows to be true, the one thing that has lasting fruit, fruit that remains is Jesus Christ and relationship with him. I have seen this. I have heard this. I touched him in the flesh. You've got to know that Jesus is real. Because the thing that this church is wrestling with, folks, is, is whether or not Jesus Christ was fully man or fully God. Statistically speaking, that's the thing that we wrestle with today still. Was Jesus really a man? Or more significantly, was he really God? Maybe he was just a really good teacher, a great communicator, a holy man, a prophet even. But is he, in fact, the Son of God? Feels different, doesn't it? To have it read to you in a chair. And so this morning, we're going to set the record straight. In our emotionally fragile culture, where saying something is definitively true is just about the highest offense you can possibly incur upon someone else. We're going to do that today. Jesus Christ was both fully man and fully God. And I'm stating that to you as what I believe to be fact. And there are eyewitnesses, namely John, in this letter who wrote about what they had personally seen and personally heard and personally touched and personally felt and personally walked with and personally seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I saw this. Do not be confused. It doesn't matter what you have been taught by some yo-yo knucklehead in that church. I'm telling you what I have seen. Jesus Christ is the eternal life. He is both man and he is both God. And he will rock your world. My paraphrase. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> the message. Okay. Guys, here's a big idea for you. If Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, then he's fully nothing. See, when we, when we lose the, the sacredness of who Jesus is, then if he's, if he's anything, if he's just kind of everything and anything, then he's actually really nothing. Another way to say it is that when Jesus becomes anything we want, he becomes nothing that you actually need. And what you really need is a Savior who was both man and both God. Because thank God that in his foresight, he sent his son Jesus to be man. And so because he was man, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to feel what you are feeling. 
He knows what it's like to appeal to God the Father on your behalf as someone who knows what you're going through. But thank God it doesn't end there because he's both fully God, able to live the life that you were unable to live, and he died the death that you deserve so that you might actually have life. And the only one who could do such a thing to give you the life that we really need was someone who's perfect, someone who is, in fact, God. Don't be shaken. If you're a student this morning, I don't care what a professor says to you. That's right, I don't care. (laughs) I do care, but I don't care. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's worth putting your faith in. And we can get into all the reasons why. And we can get into all the history and all of the data. But suffice to say that there are testimonies, handwritten, of people who saw and heard. 1 John 1, 5 through 6. As we continue through this letter... It says that this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If you grew up in the early 90s, late 80s, there was a band called DC Talk. Oh, they had, when I first learned to play guitar, oh my goodness. I loved playing, was In the Light, I think was the name of the song. Oh, I want to be in the... Okay. You'll have to just listen to it on your own. I'm not going to sing it for you right now. In him there, he, he is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is, what, this is what John writes. He, let me make it clear. This is the message that I heard from, from Jesus himself, and I am now declaring to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. You need to hear that, church in Ephesus. You need to hear that, church in Kennesaw. There's no darkness in Jesus, in God. Think of Think of light. Think of what light has done for you. If you've, ever been, if you've ever been with the power out, big lightning storm, there was a little bit of a storm last night. Amy and I, my wife Amy, she's in Nashville right now with our kids. We were stuck in Nashville when the huge flood hit. We were on a hill in a house and literally surrounded for about three days with water, by water. No power at all. We literally had a gas uh, uh, grill that we were making spaghetti on. Like we were desperate <laughs> and it tasted terrible. <laughs> and when you experience darkness and then you see just a little bit, you can see light for miles. It's profound, it's powerful, it helps you see. It helps you avoid that thing in the middle of the night that you stub your toe on, especially if you've got kids and there are toys on the ground. You step on them most when it's dark. 
There's a lot of illegal activity that happens when it's dark. People do knuckleheaded things when it's dark. Because you don't see, and you don't see well. But with God, there is no darkness at all. If he's anything, he's this one thing, he's light. And he brings light to everything. Jesus said he was the light of the world. And I love what John says. He says, if you claim to have fellowship with Jesus, and yet you are walking in darkness, you lie and do not live out the truth. You sit on a throne of lies. Okay? Those are, those are harsh words, are they not? If I posted that on Facebook, I guarantee today I would get blowback from it. And yet John, the author of this letter, is saying, as a 60, 70-year-old man who loves the people and the churches and those that are following Jesus in grace and compassion, but he's making this really clear. If you are calling yourself someone who follows Jesus, but you are living in darkness, you are deceived. You are lying, and you are not living out the truth. Now, we need to hear that, folks, because it's really easy nowadays to call yourself a Christian and live however the heck you want. And, and John is saying, hey, be mindful of how you live, because if your life contradicts the life of Christ, stop calling yourself that, because you're not. You're lying, and there's no truth in you. That's heavy duty. Knowing Jesus and obeying Jesus cannot be separated. I tried to think of a way to talk about this. I'm going to get real specific. In our Bible Belt area of the United States in a way that would make sense to you. Because many of you grew up going to church. Some of you didn't. Some of you, this is the very first time you've heard the gospel at all. And that brings joy to my heart. But imagine in, in 2016, and in, for, the, for the past good stretch, one of the things that our culture has done a, a great job of trying to separate is your sex life from your, your, your worship life, your life of service to God. Meaning, I can follow Jesus and be surrendered to him in everything that I do except my relationship with my significant other. That, I'm going to call the shots on. That, I'm going to do kind of how I feel and what, 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 what seems right to me in this moment. And so we live together, we sleep together, we, we do all kinds of things together before we're married. And you don't hear, don't hear the, a heaping uh, a dump truck of shame this morning on your life because we're going to get to what to do in just a moment. But understand that the, the, the writers in the New Testament have made some things pretty clear that 
if we're going to call ourselves Christians, that we should live like a Christian. And that means that your life is dedicated to Jesus. That means that you're passionate about the things that he's passionate about. That means that you work hard to desire the things that he desires. That means you work hard to give the way Jesus gave. You serve the way Jesus served. You lead the way Jesus led. You live like Jesus lived. Now, there's lots of times where you're going to blow it and you're going to jack that up. But in general, watch this. John is saying, walk in the light. Stop walking in the darkness. And if you are saying that you're walking this way with Jesus, but yet your life is actually walking this way, it doesn't matter what you say It doesn't matter that you identify with that over there. It doesn't matter what you've got in your mind. If this doesn't line up, then the math isn't there. Come out of the darkness and walk in the light. And this is great news for you and for me. I realize this is a heavy message. Sometimes when we read 1 John, oh, it feels just real light and fluffy, and you don't know the context. The context is this, that they have been taught that what and how they live in the body has no impact on the soul and the spirit, and therefore, you can live however you want, and it has no implications to your relationship with God. And John is saying, ain't wrong answer. This ends now. Stop doing that. With me? And so what do we do in that situation? Well, thank goodness. He gives us great news. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us either. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And one more time, if we claim we haven't sinned, we make Him out to be a liar in His words. His word is not in us. So in one breath, church, John is writing and saying, get out of the darkness and walk in the light. Stop calling yourself this. It doesn't matter that you say you have fellowship with Jesus. If you're not actually living for Jesus, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Bible Belt Christian, how much scripture you know. It doesn't matter how much Bible you can quote if you live like you've never opened it. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you say. The proof is in the pudding. But also, young Christian, don't be deceived into thinking that you now, because you're walking in the light, that you've just got all your stuff together. You don't. I don't either. 
There are things that you struggle with. There are things that you're afraid of. There are things that you're doing right now that are just downright dumb. We all have those things. Either things that you think, things that you're doing, things that you're feeling. Amy and I have been praying about just this season that we are in, and I I had to just repent to my own wife. Church planning is hard. (laughs) It's really hard. And there are times where you can just get grumbly about it or complaining about it. Or why is this happening at the school? Or why does it feel like a thousand degrees here at Kennesaw Elementary School? Or why this or why that? I just had a couple weeks of just grumbling too much and whining. Like my church coach would say, like a little whiner baby. You know what? It's not right. That's not the life of Jesus. That's not what he's called me to. And I need to get that out of the darkness and into the wondrous light. I need to stop putting gravel in my pockets and thinking that it's diamonds. when, When you walk in the darkness, we do things because we simply can't see very well. I had no family at the house because they're all in Nashville. And normally there's baby monitors and I feel like there's lights on all the time when I'm trying to sleep. But last night, there was nothing. And it was amazing when I turned off the light, it was pitch black in my bedroom. You know, I'm kind of doing one of these things to to the bed to get into the bedroom. You know what I'm talking about. But what's amazing is when I woke up this morning at about four or five, It wasn't light outside, but I could still see in my room. And what happens to us is that the longer you're in the darkness, the more you just begin to adjust to life in the darkness. And you you begin to think that this is actually how it's supposed to be. When you look at animals that live in caves and, and have evolved over hundreds of years, many of them don't even have eyes anymore. They don't need to see. They live in perpetual blindness. And John, if if there's anything he's reminding us to do, it's get out of the darkness and get into the wonderful, light-giving, truth-bringing environment of God and be changed. Jesus is real. I touched him. I walked with him. I ate with him. His life is the real deal. Don't buy in that the other way of living is somehow going to give you real life. It won't. It can't. It's impossible. Get out of the darkness and come into the light. And that looks real simple. You turn on the light. John says we confess our sin to one another. We confess it to God. We bring it to him. We stop hiding, we stop running, and we have real communion with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, 
and the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He purifies us from the inside out. We forget. We forget a lot. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. Ushers, if you could grab uh, the offering baskets in the back that have communion and bring it down front, we're going to take communion together. We're doing something a little bit different this Sunday. Not only are we preaching through a text rather than a story-based uh, moment, but we are, we're not having communion during worship. We're having it right now. Come on down front. Worship team, thank you. You can go ahead and begin to pass the basket. Thank you. I would like for you to take the communion cup. It has the bread and the juice inside it. We're going to have a moment for you and for me and for us together to bring anything that's in the darkness into the light. Whether it's uh, a habit, whether it's your attitude, whether it's your mouth, whether it's, it's your thought life, whether it's lust, gossip, cheating, slander, you pick your thing. What is it that you need to give to Jesus Christ today?